If you could only see her long when it's grubby, maybe you'd understand why I feel this way about why grubs, what I must do. You could only see what skunks do to the turf, indeed you would treat. Turf is grubby. Well, it's almost season when the beetles fly, and we got some treatments to shorten their lives. See why grub is what you do. Give a spray or you don't When your lawn is grubby Welcome to Around the Turf Scene. I'm Rusty Stacklewitz and this is your periodical podcast about all things turf. Today our guest is Nikki Hendrickson. She's going to talk to us about white grubs and white grub management, and let's get at it. With us today, we have Nikki Hendrickson from Advanced Turf Solutions. We're going to talk about white grubs. Nikki, if you could do a little introduction of yourself instead of me running through everything. Um, well, I I am an entomologist by trade, and when I say that, I have my bachelor's degree in entomology and horticulture production from Purdue University. And then I went on down to University of Kentucky and uh, got my master's in entomology under Dan Potter. So anybody in the who's delved into the white grub world probably has heard of Dan Potter. He was, he's one of the best um, uh, turf grass entomologists out there. And we did a lot of research on grubs. So let's start off with some basics and we're not going to get crazy into ID and things like that. But I think everybody who's listening to our podcast hopefully knows what a white grub is. So we won't start at that point to, um, <laughs> and, and go from there. But what are your control options for uh, treating for white grubs? So most of the time in, in our turf grass world, when we talk about control options, we can go pre and then we can go post. And for the most part, we tend to go pre. And I'm guessing that's kind of what you're talking about here and, and what you want. So in Minocloprid, the merits of the world are still probably the, the most common um, preventative grub control that goes out. And Minocloprid's been on the scene for a while. We also have um, clothianidin. So in the products like Arena, you have clothianidin. And then the newer products are, uh, it, it, I shouldn't say are, is acelaprin. So acelaprin's, uh, it's been out for a while, but as far as those kind of products go, that, that's the newer one. And acelaprin has, I would say it's got a little wider range of, of control then does imidacloprid or clothianidin? Imidacloprid is one, it's very water insoluble. When you put it down, wherever you water it down to, 
that is where that product is absolutely going to stay. So that watering in is pretty important. And, and you can go, you know, closer to that time of hatch. Clothianidin, it's a little more water soluble than, um, than imidacloprid. So there's kind of the preventative, you can get into a little bit of post there, but the key to acelaprin is it takes a little while for it to get activated in that soil and for you to get the best grub control out there. So when you're putting that product down, do not you, for grub control, do not put it down right at, at hatch. Um, for the most part, with the metacloprid, um, clothianidin, we're we're talking about putting that product down. You know, in mid June, the extension entomologist always here in Central Indiana, July fourth. That is your time to put it down, and and that is the key. And with the celebrin, you're probably going to want to be um, at least in May, if not before, putting putting that product down. Yeah, that's one of the nice um, pluses with the acelaprin is you can have the luxury of putting it down early, but you do need to put it down early. If uh, if I'm not wrong, the efficacy drops as you get closer to the hatch date. Yeah, yeah, you you need yeah you need to put acelaprin down um, early versus imidacloprid, but that also allows you. We're not talking bill bugs here. But that also allows you to catch some of those other earlier season pests like billbugs, um, at least in the home lawns. Because if you put imidacloprid down that early, you're going to be um, waning on, on that residual by the time that the that white grubs are. You'll catch them at the beginning, but that, that those later hatch eggs that hatch, you'll be missing out on those. Okay. And getting control on those. So now I'll remind everybody that... Um... Nikki is in Indianapolis. So when she says, yep. <laughs> when she says dates, if you're further south of that, you want to go sooner. If you're further north, you can go a little bit later. But geography, Absolutely. Uh, geographically speaking, in cool season turf, she's about in the center. So it's perfect for uh, a good barometer there. There's a lot of talk about switching products from year to year, like we do with fungicides, so that you don't have resistance. Is that a concern? Is that something we should worry about with white grubs? Um, most of the research still says that we don't, we don't get a lot of resistance to our traditional white grub chemicals, partly because, uh, our, our beetles are strong flyers. Um, if we're talking Japanese beetles, you know, they're, they're very strong flyers and we don't, we can get a new population to come into an area. Um, but I can say that if somebody is really concerned, uh, you know what? It will never hurt to to switch up chemistries um, and, and prevent it. I did read, actually, probably about a month ago in one, uh, I, I got to remember where it was that I read it at, but I, I was reading some articles online and it was, I thought it was one of the university guys who, who, who was looking into this a little bit more now because some people have have swore up and down that they're getting, that they're developing resistance. But I don't know that it's scientifically proven yet that that we have, you know, and we're probably really talking imidacloprid here in those neonics. Um, 
that we have resistance to neonicotinoids, but it it can never hurt to to change chemistries. And so, and we remember when we say change chemistries, I don't mean going from really imidacloprid to clothianidin. I mean going from imidacloprid or clothianidin to something like acelaprin. And I hear Bayer is coming out with a new um, chemistry this year that that could be thrown in that mix too. Yeah, it's going to be similar timing to acelaprin, I believe. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it's it's related. I think it's going to be in that same class of family as a celebrant. Okay. So most of our turf managers and lawn care operators either pick a side and they treat every year or they don't treat every year. And there's a few that scout and try and make a decision based upon beetle populations and things like that. How would you uh, base your decision on if you're going to put out a product or not? I... I would base my decision not, I wouldn't necessarily look at beetle populations, um, but I would, I would probably kind of continually monitor damage from year to year and monitor my grub populations from year to year. You might, I mean, yes, you would think that in a year where we have more beetles and you're seeing beetles, you are probably more likely to have damage that year and especially especially if you are on irrigated turf. So, you know, those, those beetles emerge um, around here. We start emergence, like Japanese beetle emergence uh, coincides with linden bloom. So wherever you are, if you have lindens around you, start looking for those linden buds to swell. And that is when um, your adult Japanese beetles are going to emerge. Um, your mass shafers of the world, which uh, there is a northern mass shafer, there's a southern mass shafer. The the timing is about the same, but they can be a little earlier. Um, and then I know when we get up into northern Indiana, there there's some like the European shafer is hitting up there. Um, that I think the Asiatic garden beetle is hitting up there. Um, and then we do have those other. I'm going to call them the weird grubs. So our green June beetles, uh, which, which aren't really truly feeding on the roots. And then we have our, um, our June beetles. So the, the bigger brown June beetles, and those can be two or three year grubs. But when it comes to scouting, for the most part, we're still talking about, you know, Japanese beetles and, and shafers. The past few years, I have actually, whenever we have breakthrough and I go out and look at it, I always see mass shafers and not Japanese beetles. Um, I, I don't see Japanese beetles a lot. So a lot of people think, oh, when I see a huge population of Japanese beetles, you know, or I'm not seeing Japanese beetles, so I don't need to treat. Um, and my guess is that for the most part, most of your population out there is shafers and not Japanese beetles. So we kind of need to be looking at looking at other things versus just Japanese beetles. Okay. What are your thoughts on pheromone traps? A lot of people use pheromone traps for scouting um, and pheromone traps basically use um, uh, sense related to sex for the insects. So they're, they're drawn into those traps. What is that a good tactic in your mind? Not really. 
Um, so back when I was in Potter's lab, you know, we used a lot of traps. And, and for the most part, when you buy those, you know, bag of bugs and they, they come with either the pheromone lures. So pheromone lures, um, you are primarily only collecting males. You're, you're only collecting males. And then there are the floral lures. And the floral lures were, were pretty potent. Um, we would put them out and like on the research farm, there was this one spot where we would hang them in some hackberries. And if anybody knows, Japanese beetles, like, I mean, they'll feed on just about anything, but hackberry is not one of their favorite trees. And we actually got to the point where we had that tree almost one third defoliated because so many were flying in from all over. I mean, they were just so attracted to it. When you use either the pheromone lures or the floral lures, uh, you will bring them in from, from all over. And it will actually look like you have a lot more than you, than you probably do if you're basing it off of that. Okay. <laughs> so I say no. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. So, um, so we've talked about preventative control with those three different products. If you miss that window or, um, you somehow have breakthrough, what are your choices for a curative control? If you're getting some white grub damage? Good question. Um, you know, the, the most popular one that's going out is, is still probably Dialox. Dialox is a product that it'll give you really quick knockdown, very short residual. Dialox in general, um, that efficacy as far as what what percentage of population that you're going to control is really probably only a 70% population, but it tends to be enough to knock down that that damage. Um, I have seen it applied where you know you go back out and you struggle to find a, a live grub out there. But um, through the research, um, since I worked for Bear for quite a few years and seeing a lot of that research, it really was only about a 70% um, effective product. Your other options, you know, most people think of clothianidine and imidacloprid as being only preventative products. Back in the day, Bear had research showing that you know you could actually get 80% control putting imidacloprid out in mid-August. You know, August to to early September, you you could actually get 80% control. It just takes a while. You know, you're gonna be out there for a week before you kind of get that not that population knocked down. If you have animals digging, that's not a good thing. You want immediate knockdown, and that's where the dialogues can can really help. Then there's clothianidine, which will also do, you can use it curative. And it speed-wise, it's kind of in between imidacloprid and, and uh, Dilox. So just kind of depending on when you're, seeing, when you're seeing that breakthrough and how fast. You know, do you have animals digging? Because if I had animals digging out there, I'm using Dilox. Seven is also an option. Um, Seven, you know, carbaryl, I don't think, I, I don't know that many people who truly use it, but it can be a spot application. Um, seven on that label, you cannot broadcast spray 
seven, but you could go in and, and treat some hot spots to get a fairly quick knockdown too. Okay. And then the other benefit I think of using um, products that are also preventative is if there are grubs deeper in the soil, when you put Dilox out, they could potentially still come up. And that's kind of where that 70% control comes from, I think. Yep. Yeah. So. It's, it, and you know, I look at that too. If I'm in, if I'm at the beginning of August and I'm like, oh crap, so, you know, I already have, have grubs out here. They're doing damage and I didn't get it down though. You know, you can still get egg lay and egg hatch for, you know, for the rest of that month. So I would rather have something with a little bit longer residual too. And that's really where I think, you know, imidacloprid and clothianidin can, can shine in those areas. Like I, I would put imidacloprid down in a heartbeat if, if I'm at the beginning of August and I still have a whole month left of beetles flying around and laying eggs. Right. Potential, potential damage. Still yeah. Coming. yeah. Is is there anything else on the white grub front that, that we should think about before we wrap that up? Um, am I, am I missing something? I don't I think can't. so. I wanted to check, I, I, make sure I wasn't missing something. Yeah. I can't think of anything, you know, it, like every now and then you'll get a call where you've got some of those bigger grubs and um, products aren't working quite as well. And I think a lot of people with imidacloprid want to go towards that lower rate too. The lower rate on imidacloprid works really good on Japanese beetles, but you need to go a higher rate um, to get really good control of those chafers. And when you're talking about those two or three year grubs, you might have a third instar grub out there that's doing damage. If you've got, you know, I always say they're the phylophagous species. Um, that's the the genus Phylophaga. There are several of those June beetles out there. And if you're applying, if this is your first time applying and you've got those bigger grubs out there, um, you're you're going to need to go either at a higher rate or that might be an area where, you know what, you might have to go Dilox on those because technically if it's a third year grub or a second year grub, um, you're really doing a curative and not a preventative. So something to think about when you're looking at breakthrough, look at your rates, look at your, the amount of water going down with those products. Most golf courses, uh, you know, if they're spraying their grub control, they're probably putting down quite a bit of water. Um, I know some guys who will put it down with a wetting agent to uh, require less watering in uh, of those. Um, products in the lawn care world, you know, most of ours is going out on a granular and really we, if your lawn is irrigated, if you're only putting a little bit of water down and you're not getting enough water and then you have breakthrough, it's really because the product didn't get to, to where it needed to be. Okay. So thing, things to consider. Um, but for the most part, we haven't had a, you know, a lot, I don't see a lot of breakthrough. No, and I don't, on, on, I don't either at all, honestly. Yeah. Um, and I said we weren't going to talk about it, but I think we need to go into some of the basics really quick that 
um, some of the grubs do have different life cycles. You've touched on it a couple times that some are one year grubs and some are three year grubs. And so there's a big difference there. Um, you know, if you're coming into an area that hasn't had uh, preventative treatment, you may run into some of these grubs that have uh, grown to the size where a regular treatment won't, won't uh, harm them. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we all look at that, um, the, the white grub complex, so to speak. And they always start off, if you've ever looked at those graphics, the big green June beetle uh, grubs, which, like I said, they're not really feeding on the grubs. They'll, they'll be in the soil. They'll come up at night. They'll actually feed on the, the leaves of the plant, um, those grass blades. Uh, they, they do that, and then they'll go back in the hole at night. So I, I hardly ever, I don't think I've ever seen damage from green June beetles. Um, they're, I like the beetles. I had a swarm of them a couple years ago. It was like my first year with Bear, so it was probably back in uh, what 2008. And I was sitting in my home office, and I just hear this thump, thump, thump on the side of my house. I'm like, "What's going on?" I look out, and there's just like hundreds upon hundreds of green June beetles flying around my tree, and I was so excited. I'm like out there with my net. <laughs> I'm going to catch these things, putting them in a killing jar. <laughs> Four agers all over had green June beetles that year in their collection because <laughs> I had them. But I've never really seen them do um, a lot of damage. The The bigger ones are those mass shafers. And that's I've only had calls on twice on the Philophaga species. And those were really when, for some reason, the golf course, they were always on a golf course, never had them as an issue in a home lawn. Um, but a couple areas on a, on a couple golf courses twice where guys hadn't treated for a couple years. And then all of a sudden, cause, cause they haven't had issues. Then all of a sudden they've, they've got an issue. And the, the issue was the, the bigger, that third year Philophica grub. And they they had an issue getting control of. And it's not that the damage with them is never quite as widespread, but because that of the size of that grub, um, you'll see, you know, a, a little that one grub can it's feeding on quite a few more roots and can cause, you know, more damage. You don't need quite that count that you do with Japanese beetles. I also had one year, um uh I think it was at Audubon Country Club down in Kentucky when John Ballard was there. He actually called. He's like, Nikki, I like I came out this morning. I've got all these dead grubs on top of my green. He's like, I, I don't even know what caused it. He's like, I, you know, there was a spray. I think there might have been a spray last the last week or something. But what I think that I think they were green June beetle grubs or something that came out to feed and then got caught with a, a late frost or something, or yeah, I mean, they basically got kind of too cold and died. It it was really a weird situation, but they weren't, they were bigger white grubs. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't actually see them. You heard the story. It wasn't down there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to Around the Turf Scene, your periodical podcast about turf grass management. Around the Turf Scene is a production of Xylem Marketing. I'm your host, Rusty Stacklitz. I hope to see you again soon.